we help large brands and their agencies with three things. We help them with planning their video advertising, then executing their video advertising buys, and then reporting on it. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone. Today we have Bettina Hein, who's the founder and CEO of Pixability, which is a video advertising platform that's going to help you grow your business. Bettina, how's it going? Going well. Thank you very much for having me, Eric. Yeah, thanks for being here. So yeah, why don't you give us a little bit uh, more context and kind of who you are and, and what you do? Yes. So my name is Bettina Hein. I'm the founder and CEO of Pixability. I am a lifelong entrepreneur. I have never had a real job. I like to brag about that. So I started my first software company right out of graduate school. And um, that was a speech technology software company. Before speech interfaces were all the rage, we created text-to-speech software. And that software today uh, lives on and is, for example, in all Android phones worldwide and a lot of car navigation systems and other devices. So that company I founded out of the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich, Switzerland. And um, after I brought that company to profitability, we raised $8 million. We then sold it for $125 million. I was fortunate enough to become a Sloan Fellow at MIT. And out of MIT, I founded Pixability because I was passionate about video and how video can really influence what we think, what we feel. Great. And what, what is a Sloan Fellow? A Sloan Fellow, it is a program for people that are looking to advance their knowledge in business and technology. It's been around for a hundred years, I think over a hundred years. And it is, it is a mid-career program. So for people that have between 10 to 20 years of professional experience that want to take a whole year off to get a master's degree. And I got a master's of science in management of technology. Got it. That's awesome. So, I mean, you, it sounds like, I mean, a couple of successful businesses, right? I mean, how do you, how do you go about, I guess, transitioning from each one where you have to kind of relearn the, the industry, right? So, you know, video and then just the other businesses. I'm just wondering how you jump around like that and, and make it happen. Well, I am very curious. Insatiable curiosity is something that entrepreneurs should have. So that that's one component of it. Novelty-seeking behavior, you could also call it. It's fun to try something new and to hone your skills with something that you have never tried before. That said, 
I would not recommend that to all entrepreneurs because it is very hard. And if you can build on something that you've learned before, you should definitely do that. You know, changing too many variables at once makes it harder. And I think I probably lost a few years in, in building Pixability because not only did I change the continent that I was working on, but I also changed the industry completely. And so that made it much harder to, to get on my feet because there were so many things I had to learn. Got it. And I think, I mean, to be able to do all these things, I think it, it all starts with the habits, right? So I mean, what kind of habits allowed you to kind of, you know, learn these new industries? And I'm just wondering, like, what, what did your day-to-day look like when you're starting these new companies? And maybe if there's any learnings people can kind of copy or emulate. For me, it's a lot about analysis. I really try to learn as much as I can by reading a lot, by speaking to experts in the field, by just asking them also trusted advisors and friends about different aspects of what I'm trying to learn about. And then once you've done a lot of that, you can't get into this analysis paralysis, then you have to launch some experiments to see if what you're thinking as an idea, if that actually has legs. And you have to find experiments that will that can prove out whether this is going to work or not relatively quickly. And that's easier said than done. There's there's no there's really no good recipe to make sure that you get either um, you get that right. There can be false positives and po- false negatives. So you have to look at that data that you get out from those experiments and then sometimes make a judgment call. And sometimes you're going to be right. Sometimes you're going to be wrong. Great. Okay. So I want to talk a little more about the the business. So, I mean, how does it, there's a lot of video advertising platforms out there. How is Pixability different? How does it work? We help large brands and their agencies with three things. We help them with planning their video advertising, then actually the buying, so executing their video advertising buys, and then reporting on it. And we do that specifically on walled garden platforms, which is sort of industry jargon for YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. We also have newly Spotify. And those are channels that are They're called walled gardens for a reason. They are closed and it's really complex to execute campaigns in them, but then across them is even harder because everyone has their own ad formats. Everyone has their own conventions, their own reporting. So we help you plan across that and execute across and report across it. And that allows big brands that we work for like CVS or Puma or Reebok or Gucci and Rolex, really big brands, helps them find their right audience. And that is something that they need to do right now because they are losing audiences. Less people are watching television. Every quarter, the ratings drop. So they can't find their audience anymore on television. They have to look at digital and 97 cents of every new digital dollar is spent on these walled garden platforms. 
Got it. Okay. And I, I like that you just talked about, you just revealed a number, right? And I think with, with something like this, I mean, there's a lot of numbers that you can speak to that you're seeing through Pixability. So I guess what are some other interesting video statistics you can talk to or any case studies? So if you are asking about the market, yep. the market is is relatively, no, not relatively, it is very large. There are $260 billion spent on television advertising worldwide every year. So about 70 billion of that is in the United States. And as you know, younger demographics do not watch television very much anymore, specifically not live linear. They may watch on demand and streaming. So that's a big statistic. The other statistics are that if you look at the open web, oftentimes only 40 to 50% of what you're getting as an advertiser as impressions are actually valid and seen. So there's a lot of things happening that are not kosher, if you want to say it like that. So advertisers, they obviously do not like paying for things that are not real because they want real people to see their advertising. That's what they're paying for. So there's this flight to the closed platforms, which know exactly who you are, you can target them better, and you can get results that really work. So the interesting thing is that this whole sector of online marketing was pioneered more by e-commerce companies. But now big brand advertisers are also getting into the game and newer ways of correlating what happens when you invest allow these brands to really see the impact of their spending. For example, we did last summer, we did a campaign with a sunscreen brand. And what they did is they ran our advertising and didn't change anything else. They ran our advertising in one zip code where they had stores or several zip codes. And then they didn't run our advertising in very similar zip codes. And they saw that they got a 600% return on their investment because store sales went up where they put that YouTube advertising, YouTube in in this case, and, and some Facebook. So you can really see these days also with with mobile location data, you can see if someone has seen your ad actually visits your store. And then you can correlate that with your point of sale data to see if you actually sold more things. So it's an exciting time for marketers. They can really see better how their money is working for them. But it's also a super confusing time for marketers because Digital is so much more complex than just buying a newspaper ad or a television spot. So there's this huge excitement, but then also this confusion and sometimes deer in the headlights where like they don't know which way to turn because there are so many possibilities and so many people saying different things. And we at Pixability try to provide clarity to those brand advertisers. Got it. So at a high level, I think Pixability, from what it sounds like, and you, you can correct, it makes it a lot easier. You, get, you have better transparency. It's better. It's easier to buy ads, and then you can buy it on different platforms. Is that is that kind of the high level? Yes. Okay. Great. So if I'm, let's say I'm in, you know, so I I have an agency, right? And you know, I want to run this for uh, you know, a client, and we say, okay, we want to we want to do video ads for 
for you guys. Basically, you know, I'm just how would it work? So when you say plan, buy, and report across, when you say how does the planning section work? Um, I'm assuming buying is just you're you're figuring out the targeting and all that kind of stuff. You're you're agreeing on a certain amount and then you just push it across. How does it work? Mm -hmm. We look at in the planning phase, we look very carefully at who you're trying to target. And we use our data that we have on almost 8 million different YouTube channels, for example, to see who is actually watching videos around the products that you're trying to sell. We look at that. We also look at what inventory is available. We look at where, let's say, you have stores if you're a retailer. We look at times of day. We look at which platforms actually work for the KPIs that you want to achieve. So do you want engagement? Do you want click-throughs? Do you want views to completion of your ad. There are all different types of things that we plan around. And then we find the right audiences in that planning process through our software. It recommends those. So once we've done that and we've found the the audience and the placements that you need, then you can press go with our software and then we will run those placements with the budget that you need in the geography that you need in the demographic that you need. And what we do then is our software breaks out your campaigns into hundreds of sub campaigns, sometimes over a thousand sub campaigns, so that we can test every single variable that you have specified. And then over the course of the campaign, we help you, a, the software helps you A-B test which things are working well and which ones aren't. And we help you achieve optimal performance according to the key performance indicators, the KPIs that you have. And then we take that information and we report it back to you, but then we also feed it right back. We'll close the loop and feed it right back into the planning process. I love it. I love it so much that I muted myself and I signed up as a lead on your site under the agency <laughs> That's <laughs> well, the first time that. I've done it. Yeah, you're very welcome. I'm excited to try it out. So how, do, how does Pixability make money? We charge our customers a percentage of the ad spend that they execute. Got it. Okay. And what kind of numbers can you reveal around the business today, whether it's around revenue, growth rates, customers, anything like that? So we have grown immensely. We've grown over 100% a year for the last five years in a row. We are just over 80 people and yeah, we're in five locations. So we are headquartered here in Boston. Then we have offices in New York, in Chicago, San Francisco, and also in Europe, in London. Nice. Cool. And so what, uh, I guess, in terms of customer acquisition right now, what's working the best for you at the moment? What's, what's the most effective thing? We really start with thought leadership. That has been a recipe that is tried and proven for us. We take the data that we collect anyway, and we package that into thought leadership that we distribute via studies, specifically in industry verticals, that we focus on via PR efforts, via op-eds, bylines, you know, as background for industry analysts. And we then take 
those insights and break them down for our individual customers. So if we have a lead signing up through our website, let's say we have signing up General Motors signing up, right? And then we will look at our data that we have and our studies that we have around the automotive industry and show them our expertise. So it goes all the way from awareness to consideration and then hopefully to buying where we use our data to close the deal. Got it. Okay. And so for the the thought leadership pieces, how are you getting the word out? How are you promoting it, I guess? So we do that via, I would say, the standard channels uh, these days. So we obviously have all of our social media channels where we put the word out. We've collected a large email list over the course of uh, the years. And then we also just send it directly to our prospects. We, our salespeople, reach out. You know, this is not such a huge industry, right? There are not millions of people that will buy our software. It's a relatively small set of maybe 10 to 15,000 people worldwide that really are sort of in the business of executing brand advertising spend. And so we, we target those. We also pitch out every time we complete a new study, we pitch it to the press for background, for actual stories, for bylines. So we do that. And then we also recycle that data, do events. We sponsor events. We pitch the the data to present them at industry forums, whether that is paid speaking engagements where we pay to, to talk, but then also things where we just show that we have this expertise and get invited on on those merits. Oh, that's interesting. So can I can I cut in on that sure. that part? I mean, so when you when you say when you go to when you pay to speak somewhere, I mean, what are some examples of some nice conferences that you'd pay to speak at? Because I've I've heard of that a couple of times, but this is the first time we've had someone on the podcast actually talk about that. So I'm curious. Yeah, there you know there are a lot of industry conferences that make their money by selling sponsorships, and one of the things that you get as a sponsor is oftentimes as a speaking slot, obviously they have to vet you and they have to make sure that the content that you're presenting is something that interests that audience. But that's obviously what you want as a sponsor as well. You don't just want to be there to have a empty sales pitch. So where we focus are specific conferences that are focused on advertising, but also that are focused on the industries that we work in. For example, we have had really great results with speaking that we've done for in the beauty sector, beauty and fashion sector for Women's Wear Daily, for example, or Glossy. And those are events where we can show not just our video expertise, but our expertise in a specific vertical. Got it. Makes perfect sense. And so when you, let's say, you know, it's one of these conferences out there, uh, how much are you, it usually costs a sponsor and then also get a speaking slot just so people get some context? Oh, it varies. Oh my goodness. It varies. Um, I would say it's anywhere between five and $50,000 and there there are more expensive ones than that, but um, we haven't gotten there (laughs) to sponsor anything bigger than that. And when you're doing it, I'm imagining you're, you're probably getting a good amount of leads from it too, right? So it probably pays for itself more than a couple times over. 
Yeah. Otherwise we wouldn't do it. And, but you never know in advance, right? Sometimes if you've never done that event before, or you don't know who's coming this year versus last year. So there's always a little bit of a gamble there. Right. Got to gamble to win. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, of the couple businesses that you started, it doesn't have to be related just to fixability. What is the biggest struggle you've ever faced while growing a business? Well, the key thing for being successful in a business or keeping growing it is to not run out of cash. And that is sort of the continual struggle that an entrepreneur has to go through. You have to really, really be very strategic in how you use the money that you've raised, how much you invest versus how much you get in from actual customer revenues. I've been on the brink many times over where we, uh, you know, it's, it gets really close. So if I think a situation is, is getting close, I start fundraising six months ahead of any situation that I think could be dangerous. The most wonderful thing then after going through that, and it takes years and years if you're founding a software company, there's lots of struggle there to you know, get angel investors and then get angel groups and then get early stage VCs and then get growth stage VCs. All of that is always a tough thing for to go through. But the most wonderful thing is when you're then profitable. And so I reached out with my first company and we were, that was really great because we could then use that cash to do acquisitions and other great things. And now we've reached that here at Pixability as well. So, um, so that's, that's an awesome feeling after many years of struggle. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah. So a couple more questions on our end before as we work towards wrapping up. So for you, how do you structure your day currently? How does it look? I have two kids. There are three and six. So I start my day with them, getting them breakfast, getting them dressed, getting them to school. And I love that part of it. And then I head to the office. I always eat my breakfast here in the office. And uh, then I start my meetings, whether that's customer meetings or internal groups or my one-on-ones with my direct reports. And, you know, that's essentially my day is really made up of meetings. And I try in between to catch up on my emails and, and other things. And luckily I have a great assistant who helps me keep everything on track. And, um, then, you know, in the evening there are sometimes events that I have to go speak at, but I try as much as I can to be home around seven ish so that I can have dinner with my kids and then tuck them in for the night. So this describes my day, <laughs> let's say maybe in 30% of the cases. The other part is that there's typically very crazy phases during the year. And that's usually between March and June, July, and then between September and Thanksgiving, where I am just on the road constantly. And, you know, I'm just going to conferences where I'm speaking, you know, doing those sponsorships. I'm meeting with customers. I'm checking in on our different, on our, in our locations that we have worldwide. I go to have top to top meetings at Google and Facebook and so on. 
So that is then utter craziness. And, you know, I, that is then harder for me and also for the family because my kids are still small and they need, they need attention. So I try to balance that and not go too crazy, but it's, you can't really have work life balance if you're the CEO of a startup. Yeah, you know, I read something recently. I don't know who it was from, but it's more about, I think it's from Jeff Bezos about work life harmony instead of balance, where, you know, you have so much fun at work and where you can take that good attitude and bring it home and vice versa. What do you think about that? I'm extremely fortunate. If you can form your world, your daily world, to your liking, that is just a huge privilege and entrepreneurs get to do that. So I think that the work-life balance is something that applies maybe a bit more to people who have their work lives defined for them because they are working in larger companies or, you know, in the public sector and they just have a definition of what is to be done there and they can't change it much. What I can do is so different from that. I have huge leeway in who I hire, what we do, how we do that, what the culture is. That for me, it's hard, you know, being an entrepreneur is not an easy path, but I get to form it in a way that I like and that is is fun and fulfilling for me. So I think that that is where, you know, the I guess what Jeff Bezos calls harmony comes from is that you can be in sync with how you want your work life to be. Love it. All right. Final question from my side. What is one must read book that you'd recommend to the audience? Oh, ha. there are two that I'd actually like to recommend. Sure. I think that one that I, I read a, f- a few years ago, but that's still in my mind is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. I really like that book and it you know helps you realize your own biases in every day and how people are driven sort of it's it's a kind of a behavioral economics book. Um, so that one is is one that I really love. And the next one is called Behave. It's by Robert Sapolsky. And it is all about, he's a primatologist at Stanford, and it's all about how our brain works and how our cells and our synapses, how everything works together to form the species that we are, the people that we are. And it's very fascinating. Both of these are really thick books. So if you dive into them, that is, yeah, it's, it's an undertaking but it's totally worth it. And maybe a bonus one, a, a fiction one that I just read that I really liked is called The Sympathizer, and it's by Viet Thanh Ninh, and uh, it's, uh, it's about the Vietnam War uh, written from the perspective of a Vietnamese double agent. Interesting. Very nicely written. Cool. We'll drop all three of these in the show notes for sure. So all three of those sound really good. Hopefully they're available on audiobook too, because they sound really long. <laughs> but Gina, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? You can find me uh, via Pixability at pixability.com, or you can follow me on Twitter 
or connect with me on LinkedIn if we've met in person. So I'm on Twitter. I'm at Bettina Hine. And uh, yeah, you can drop me a line or email me if you want to reference this podcast at Hine at Pixability.com. All right, Bettina, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you for having me, Eric. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.